This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, everybody. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 127 for Monday, October 28th, 2013. Today on the program, we will be talking about Season 4, Episode 3, called Isolation. Mm-hmm. And we will be running down all the great, holy crap, did you see that moments we got. And of course, saving feedback for our newly created Wednesday night program uh, called feedback (laughs) (laughs) really Uh, no listener feedback we're just gonna we're gonna move it all to to the wednesday night and release newly minted yes exactly minted yeah (laughs) newly minted we also have a listener email of the week but first jason i need to let you know that it's internet day really it is it's internet day every day is internet day for me well that's kind of true uh you and i work on the internet all day long Uh, And even people who don't really work in the industry use it quite a fair bit, at least many do. So the internet's a popular tool, isn't it? It is. People got their facey pages and their bliggity blogs, all that (laughs) kind of good stuff. They sure do. Well, today is internet day because it is the anniversary of the uh, first transmission between universities in 1969. Oh, I remember that. You do, eh? No, I don't. I wasn't born then. No. But I, I remember hearing that it happened. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is a thing. Um, so today's a chance to celebrate the people who helped build the internet while also giving us a moment to reflect on all the ways that it has changed our lives forever. And for the better, I bet. Oh, for the better, for sure. So Leonard Kleinrock was one of the guys involved in creating the original internet. And what they did is they they hooked up a wide area network between a few different universities, two of which were UCLA and Stanford. Mm-hmm. And do you know what the first transmitted letters from UCLA to Stanford were? Uh, AK? No, it was L and O. He was trying to transmit the word login or log on, right. but the connection crapped out after L and O. Oh. But other than that, it was a great success because that L and that O got through. That's awesome. It is, isn't it? And then it crashed. And And then then the internet crashed. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And you know what? I should clarify. It's actually tomorrow, October 29, not today. So you you didn't miss it um, unless, well, you didn't miss it, Jason. But if you're listening to this late, you may have. Anyways, October 29 is internet day. And, uh, you know, you should use the internet in a productive manner to celebrate. That's what I say. All right. Well, so the first thing I'm going to do uh, when I get on the internet tomorrow morning is I'm going to type in L and O in, uh, well, I guess Google, just to send it out into the internet and uh, see what I get back. See what you get back. You never know. Maybe I would get back an A and a K, ACK for acknowledge. That's (laughs) what I was thinking, you know, the term for a generic term for acknowledge of transmission. But then as soon as I said it, I realized that's the response to the first thing that probably went out on the internet. Right. At least it wasn't like like a cat picture or something like that. No, that's the the first thing on uh, on Reddit or <laughs> a, a description of a cat picture because that was long before the age of transmitting images. <laughs> that's true. So congratulations, Leonard Kleinrock. I don't know if the guy's still alive, but he probably or he may wow. be. I don't know. Let's see if he's he's probably on the internet. Yeah, there's probably some information about him out there. So it's Internet Day, L and O. 
from UCLA to Stanford. That is quite a big deal. Are you looking up Leonard? I am. Uh, it doesn't say he's 79 years old. Uh, he's still alive. Congratulations, Mr. Uh, Kleinrock, on reaching the ripe old age of 79 and inventing the internet. And living in Los, An in Los Angeles. Good for him. All right, let's do our listener email of the week. Okay. It comes from Chris in the UK, and it's a bit of a long one, and it is directly related to The Walking Dead. Sometimes I pick ones that aren't so much, or they're just asking us a question or whatever, but this week I thought I'd read this one because I liked it. Chris from the UK says, Just caught up on Infected and listened to your podcast. Was quite surprised by Chris's reaction to what I thought was another quality episode. Hang in there, Chris. I'm sure the plots will intersect in time. If anything, my concern went the other way. Season one, really strong, pacey, and almost no filler. But to be fair, it was only six episodes. Season two, strong start, slow build, gradual ramping up of both pace and quality to a satisfying finale, but at the cost of lots of criticism for the leisurely pace early on. Season three, they've listened to the critics, and season three shoots off at top speed. So much so that the second half felt like a slowdown and the finale was disappointing to many. Season four, we're flying again. The concern being, can they keep topping each week uh, what we saw the week before? On to specifics. I like that the new virus is adding to the tension, but I have only this to say. If the virus is that powerful, we have to see an established regular succumb. Having Rick, Michonne, Daryl, Tyrese, Carl, Beth, Carol, Herschel, Glenn, and Maggie survive whilst the Rood Woodbury Redshirts, which sounds like a bluegrass band, <laughs> drop like flies will strain credibility. For me, Sasha doesn't count either as we didn't see her, uh, that much of her last year. Maybe in a, it's an opportunity to get rid of the albatross that is Judith, but that might feel like a cop-out. So That's I like a very this. Very good point. I like it too. I like this email. Um, first of all, his description of the seasons is pretty much spot on. Yeah, I would say. And um, and then you know having all of our main characters or the ones that at least have been with us for more than one season, one or two, or three or four, having all them all survive is going to feel a little bit disingenuous if they just kill off all the Woodbury redshirts. Right. Which is a band I would go see. <laughs> I would definitely go see the, that band for sure. <laughs> um, now, we'll get into isolation in a minute and talk about some people who are sick and who may die. But um, I think I think Chris here makes a really, really good point that if, if, I mean, if somebody doesn't die or if there aren't serious consequences to some of our main characters due to this illness, it is going to feel a little bit funny and not realistic. I, w I would definitely agree with that, and, and I have, uh, now that he's mentioned it, I've got a few in mind that I think would be likely candidates for the virus to uh, take. Yeah, I think there's a few that, you know, come to mind after watching Isolation, and we can talk about that yeah. in a minute. So thank you, Chris, for that, and uh, let's get into our recap of Season 4, Episode 3, Isolation. We start with the cold open, as usual. We see Glenn digging a grave, and we get a shot of another grave with glasses hanging on the cross marking the grave, and one beside it with a gun hanging on the cross. So obviously that's Patrick's grave. Yep. And the other one is who? Somebody who uses a gun. That's pretty Somebody, much everybody. Yeah, everybody uses a gun. 
Uh, I can't think of anybody off the top of my head. Yeah, I, I don't know if that was supposed to be someone specific or it was more of just a, uh, you know, a random thing. They're trying to indicate that they're putting personal effects of people with the graves, which is a nice thing to do and something that often happens in real life. Um, but I don't know that that gun indicated any specific character um, other than somebody who just had a, a strong relationship with their weapon. Yeah, and why would you, I, you know, when you, I look back on it, why would you take something as useful as a firearm and discard it as a personal item on a, on a grave marker? It's true. You know, in this world, you need weapons, you need firearms. Uh, glasses aren't going to help that many people. Take the guy's shirt and put that on there. Uh, you know, you might need that gun somewhere, unless it's, you know, when he died or she died, that uh, it was, you know, damaged beyond repair and therefore became a useless personal item. But as long as it's useful... Use it. Now, in some ways, glasses could be considered useful, too. I mean, you're not getting a new prescription in this universe, so if if you break your glasses and someone else has similar ones, that might be might be helpful. I don't know. Seeing stuff is really not that important in, <laughs> in the new world. No, but having a weapon at your, at your sidearm is. Yeah. I mean, how many signs do you need to read while you're driving? Do you really need to read the newspaper? No. No, none of those things are as important as they used to be. That's true. You do yeah, need to be able to... shoot s- at the dead blurry object in front of you. Well, you need to be able to shoot straight, and uh, glasses might help you do that. Um, anyways, we uh, we see... So we've j- just seen Glenn so far, and then we get Maggie. She's digging another grave across from him, and they sort of share a worried glance at each other, but they're staying away because they want to make sure they don't transmit the flu between each other anymore right and the camera pulls back and we see a whole bunch of people digging graves so it's a grave party it it, that's exactly what it is digging graves for all those uh woodbury red shirts that didn't survive so we cut to a quick scene of dr s and herschel treating people dr s looks like he's listening for a pulse in the chest of somebody but cannot find one so that is not good and then we get to the really important part here with tyrese carol rick and daryl standing around the burnt bodies from last episode yeah so tyrese wants rick to find out who did it because he's a police officer and i guess he assumes he's some sort of investigative detective and he can figure out who did it and tyrese is really really upset in this scene and acting pretty irrationally if you ask me well i do ask you and uh, i would agree with your assessment He's I mean, pretty irrational. Yeah, I mean, it's... And clear, aggressive. Clearly, he's upset, but he's not really thinking straight. So Daryl tries to calm him down, and uh, Tyrese ends up punching Rick when Rick tries to sympathize with him by saying, you know, we've all lost people. We, we know what you're going through. Which, you know, I completely agree with Rick here. It's like, look, man, we've this is, this is the harsh world, and we've all had people die. My wife died during childbirth. You know, we know what it's like. Although, I can see Tyrese not really feeling all that much comfort from that phrase in the moment. Yeah, and also Rick put his hand on uh, Tyrese's shoulder to comfort him. When somebody's in a rage, you don't touch them. Right. Now, and Daryl had already grabbed him, I think, right? Yeah, Daryl grabbed him. Grabbing is fine. Putting a comforting hand on their shoulder from behind them uh, is probably not the wisest move. If only because it sort of startles them, right? Yeah, it's just somebody who's in a rage. You don't do anything that can, you know, focus that rage. You want to, you don't, you don't want to draw aggro on you if you don't have to. Right. Well, so he punches Rick. Uh, Daryl grabs him again, and uh, he um, 
he 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 gets him back up against the wall but uh, rick gets up and fights back he punches tyrese knocks him down gets him on the ground and he gets on top of him just punching away just hammering into his face uh with his fists and until daryl steps in and pulls him off and as he does that rick just screams let go of me a few times like he just wants to keep punching away at tyrese here he's he's really now now rick isn't really acting rationally at this point no rick's got the rage now too it's yeah. right on it's right just under the surface all the time now i think it is and i think that's why he was trying to live this rage-free simple life as a farmer right which i guess you know went okay for a while but not so much now so we go to the opening credits and when we come back it's herschel treating rick's hand he, Herschel delivers some of the lines from the trailer that we heard for season four about uh, you take a drink of water, you know, you risk your life, stuff like that. Um, and he tells Rick there's a council meeting. Uh, sorry, not the drinking the water, the one about we lost 14 people or something like that. That's what he's talking about here, yeah, Herschel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he tells Rick there's a council meeting in the morning. And it seems to me like Herschel was asking Rick to join the council here in this scene. I would, I would think so. I didn't think so in the moment, but uh, in retrospect, yeah. Like he tells Rick to sort of keep going, get back on the wagon. He says, you know, you can't fall off. You have to get back on and uh, maybe joining the council and giving yourself something to do instead of punching people in the face. You know, that's, oh, yeah. that's kind of what I feel like he was saying. What are the, what's the saying? Idle hands makes the devil's work or something like that? Yeah. Basically, if you're bored, you're going to get into trouble. That's right. Is Is what that means. Yeah. Uh, so Rick needs something to do, but we go over to Tyrese and he is, <laughs> he is furiously digging a grave in this scene. <laughs> yeah. He's uh, trying to, uh, he's trying to get rid of all of his aggression. Yes. By moving dirt. And Bob comes to see him to find out if he's okay, but Tyrese won't stop until they're in the ground. He keeps saying, so Bob decides to grab a shovel and start helping, which is probably the best thing Bob can do in this, in this moment. Yeah, it also gives him a, a weapon in case Tyrese goes berserk again. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> that is true. I hadn't thought of that. I figured he was just being a nice guy helping him out. But No, he was. Just, you know, if <laughs> if I was around somebody who was uh, that volatile and that uh, obviously enraged, uh, I wouldn't get close to him without some kind of defensive measure. Right. Good point. So we cut over then to Glenn and Herschel walking. Glenn asks if they're going to be okay and uh, Glenn says they can fight people or walkers, but they can't fight a sickness like this. And uh, I think Glenn kind of just distilled the whole point of the flu down right here. You know, we can we can defend ourselves against people or zombies, but how do you defend yourself against a flu? There's not a lot you can do if you get it. Yeah. Um, and as they're talking, Sasha comes stumbling out of the prison, coughing, and she is clearly getting sick. A victim. Another one. So things could not be going well for people that Tyrese is close to. Um, Sasha keeps going. She goes into the quarantine area. She's obviously really sick now. There are people in there dying, coughing up blood. There's already a zombie in a cell locked in. And we find out that Dr. S is in there, and he's just as sick as the rest of them now. Right. So our only real doctor who we haven't had for three seasons or four seasons, is not doing so well. Looks like we're going to lose him all of a sudden. No, no, he'll pull through. It'll be fine. You think so? I really do. Hmm, interesting. All right. Do you think? Why do you think that? Because they've given him enough lines that he's a major character? 
Uh, because he <laughs> accomplished uh, what he needed to do being sick, and we'll cover that later. Okay, very good. But anyways, for now, Dr. S is sick. We go to the council, and they are talking. They realize everybody in D that was in D is now sick, and we find out that even Glenn, who was there, is starting to feel symptoms, but he doesn't make it known to everybody around the table at that Not time. Not at this time, no, yeah. Herschel says there's no stopping it. If you get it, you have to uh, go through it. And he says, we need antibiotics. And he mentions a veterinarian clinic with medicine uh, that's 50 miles away. So Daryl decides to go out with Michonne. And Herschel wants to go, but uh, Daryl has a funny line about, you know, eventually we always have to run, so you should stay here, one leg. <laughs> and Herschel uh, buys into that immediately. Yeah. I'm going to stay here. I'll draw you a map. Oh, I can draw you a map. Exactly. Um... So Herschel also decides that they have to separate the most vulnerable people who aren't sick yet into a separate section of the prison, the offices, I think he says. And uh, he, he decides that that is the very young, and Glenn pipes in with, and the very old. Right. <laughs> kind of saying, you, you are very old. You need to be protected. <laughs> One leg. Yeah, peg leg Herschel. Um, we go to Rick and Carol, who are pumping water outside. It looks like they've set up a really, they've repurposed a bicycle or something to be a water pump, which well, is yeah. which is clever. Yeah, very clever. Uh, but the pipe is clogged and Carol wants to go out to clean it. And uh, Rick says, no, let's just use the water we have right now. We'll do that tomorrow. Right. Fair enough. And I'm a firm believer in uh, that sounds like a job that tomorrow guy will be much better equipped to handle. Explain tomorrow guy. Tomorrow guy is me tomorrow. So tomorrow guy is, you know, that guy will be able to handle this because he's going to be much better equipped to do it mentally and physically than I am right now. I see. So you're able to judge what is going to be difficult for you today, today guy, and what yeah. will be easier for tomorrow guy. Yeah. You see, the problem is tomorrow guy has uh, the hindsight of today and therefore will always be wiser and smarter than today guy. So leaving stuff for tomorrow guy is just a, a recipe for disaster because tomorrow I'll just decide tomorrow guy can do it and it just keeps getting pushed forward. Because you're all, because tomorrow guy will always be smarter than and today wiser. than yeah. today guy. Yeah. Um I see. It sounds yeah. like tomorrow guy is too smart for his own good. Yeah, yeah, tomorrow guy is way too smart. He's smarter than I am. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> all right. Well, Rick decides that tomorrow people, tomorrow Rick and tomorrow Carol, can take care of going out to fix the water pipe. A very wise decision. I guess. Um, and uh, we go to uh, Tyrese, who's there finishing the graves, and Rick goes to talk to him. And they're a little bit more civil this time in their discussion. Yeah, and they also maintain a, a great distance between them. They do. They, they, you know, you never know when the punches or the shovels might start flying by accident. Enough time to be able to draw a weapon. That's true. In a crisis. Yeah. Um, yep. For Rick, anyways, Tyrese does not carry a gun that I know of. He's got a shovel and a hammer, and and that hammer, God. But uh, you know, with a gun, a hammer's not going to do very much for you from that distance. But Rick says he's sorry. And Tyrese again tells him to find out who did it. Um, uh, Risk Rick asks him if he knows if anybody had a problem with David or Karen. I guess this is the beginning of his investigation. And uh, Tyrese kind of says he's not feeling the urgency to find the killers, and it seems like murder is okay. 
Yeah. Um, but Rick says, no, we just have to save lives first. And again, I agree entirely with Rick here. Yeah. I mean, it's important to find out who did it. If you have a murderer amongst you, you want to know that. But at the same time, there are bigger fish to fry sometimes. And uh, he, Rick wants to make sure they can save lives and the people are safe. And then he'll worry about who killed and burned Karen and David. You know, back when I back in the '90s, I was hanging out with this guy named Quinton, and uh, Quinton once we were just sitting around. He's a bit of a philosopher, right? And uh, he, we were all sitting around one time, uh, probably just after playing D and D for you know 14 hours straight. Uh, he just posed the question: Why do we solve murders as a human, as a race, as a as a society? Why do we solve murders? Okay, and really, what's the answer? Like, what is the biological, social, uh, what is the, the impetus, what is the need, the base need for solving murders? Well, the social need, I would say, is a deterrent. You want to punish those who break the social contract and uh, in an attempt to deter other people from doing it because there is a punishment associated with it. I don't think that uh, that's true. I don't think that any—they they talk about— um, uh, capital punishment being a deterrent for, uh, you know, heinous crimes. And there's no real proof that it, that is in any way a deterrent. And I don't think that, uh, you know, solving a murder and punishing the people responsible in any way deters anybody else from committing a murder. Well, I mean, you asked me what the theory is or, or why do we do it? And I guess suppose that is just the theory. So it may or may not deter people, although it might deter some. The problem is it doesn't really factor in um, things like mental illness, which yeah. don't, you know, which wouldn't consider the consequences of, of your actions if you're going to murder someone. And you could easily argue that people who murder people, at least in the first degree, are in general not mentally sound. Right. Anyway, it was just a, it was a question he posed, and I thought it was a very interesting philosophical one. And this one, uh, it kind of it kind of rears it reared its head in my mind uh, in this scene, in that you know you have to solve this murder. And Rick's you know response was, yeah, that's a great idea, but you know realistically, that's a secondary concern. And and as I said, I agree with Rick there. Yeah. The thing about the thing about Tyrese is though he's out for uh, revenge. You know, and that's one of the, that's one of the reasons why we solve murders is revenge. Yeah, just a societal concept of revenge. We need to avenge the the death of somebody. It, it I guess you, it feels like you're you're making it right in a way. Yeah, if if you can possibly make a murder right. Um. Anyways, interesting question. I like yeah. it. Um. So we go to though we go over to Rick moving Carl, telling Carl that he has to go into the healthy person quarantine area. So now we've got. A few people walking around outside. That's uh, Rick, Daryl, uh, Tyrese, Carol, and so on. We've got all the sick people in one section, and we've got all the vulnerable people, the young and the old, who are still healthy in another section of the prison. So right. we're really fragmenting people up here. Um, but uh, So Rick is telling Carl he has to go, and Rick says he wants Carl to keep them safe. Now, this is kind of his way of giving Carl something to do in there. Yeah, and that that's that just shows great leadership is to uh, inspire someone to do what uh, uh, what they think they should do rather than just telling them what they need to do or what you want them to do. Yeah, yeah, you give them a reason to do what you want them to do. Yeah, you <laughs> you get them to be uh, to to aspire to a better 
self. Make them think it was their idea all along. Well, not necessarily. It's not manipulation. It's just yeah. like, you know, this is the, it's the greater good. I need you to to help me out by uh, being my eyes and ears or being the uh, the person that's going to keep them safe. Right. You know? And that's definitely something that Carl would want to do. Absolutely. That said, though, I don't I didn't see Rick as being fully committed to that idea in this scene because Carl is the one who says, you know, I might need to kill somebody in there if they if they turn and rick is really hesitant to agree although he does yeah so it it, it shows a well i mean it shows leadership in rick and a maturity in carl it does him able to say you know what i'm gonna you know i'm gonna need this gun i might have to do something crazy in there you never and, know and it's not even just might it's there's a good chance that if somebody gets sick that this gun is going to be needed yeah definitely uh, before we go to commercial, we have a scene uh, with Glenn in his cell. He's clearly not doing very well, and Maggie comes in and finds out that he is sick. So she now knows that he has got the sickness, and she needs to, you know, there won't be any trips to the fornication tower anytime soon for the two of them. No, nope. although uh, although fornication is a great cure, or, or at least delayer of flu symptoms. It is? Uh, yeah. In real life or in the Walking Dead world? No, in real life. If you're feeling sick, you can still uh, have sex and feel great until about 10 minutes after sex, and then you feel crappy again. Okay, I see. Does it help? Does it heal you at all? Does it help no, you get better? No, not at all. Just it kind of alleviates the uh, the symptoms of uh, feeling uh, fluish. I got to admit, it must, uh, <laughs> that may be true, but I would think it would be difficult to find a partner if you're like full on f covered in the flu and... <laughs> Well, it depends on You're the like, eagerness come here, baby. Of, the, of the people involved, right? <laughs> depends on the what? The eagerness of the people involved. I, I guess so, but uh, I'm not I'm just sure. saying. Okay. <laughs> Good. Good plan. We know how your uh, life goes now. <laughs> All right. We come back. Daryl, he's prepping the car to leave to go to get the medicine from the vet clinic. He tells Michonne that he's glad she's here instead of running off all the time. Right. Which is nice of him. And they start to talk about who else could come. And uh, Daryl goes to find Tyrese, but he wants to stay with Sasha, even though she's on death row and he can't even really get at her. Herschel, he, uh, he's sitting in his room and the camera pans back from a poster on the wall that says, smooth seas do not make good soldiers. So... I guess that means uh, you're not going to, I mean, you need some um, rough times to to uh, develop. What does it mean, Jason? It means that kites uh, fly against the wind and not with it. It means you need uh, adversity. Adversity. Uh, is, is, is what? What are we looking for here? We're looking for a phrase, a turn of phrase. Yeah, no. I guess smooth seas do not make good soldiers says it all, but it, it means you need adversity to become strong, basically. Right, yeah. And I couldn't think of the word adversity before, so... Well, there you go. <laughs> it came to me. I'm glad I could help. He picks up a coffee mug, Herschel, and he looks at it, and he realizes something, although we don't know what it is yet. I want coffee. I guess. That's what I thought when he picked that up. I'm like, yeah, a cup of coffee would go really nice right Man, now. I could really use some coffee. He goes to leave. He's walking out of the prison healthy safe zone. And Carl steps up and questions him. Carl, who was just patrolling the halls, which I thought was awesome. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's just walking around making sure everybody's okay. What else is he going to do? Yeah, just sit around. He might as well patrol. And Play video games? Watch TV? Nope, nope. Go on the internet? Nope. Chat with friends? Nope. 
Well, maybe Wander Beth. Wander around. You could chat with Beth. Well, I meant on the internet. Right. Nope. So he's wandering wandering the halls and uh, and helping out. Yeah, that's good. But he finds Herschel, and Herschel says he's going into the woods. And Carl says, well, I got to tell my dad. But then he says, no, I'll just go with you (laughs) instead. He says, I can't let you do that first, which I thought was interesting. Oh, yeah, I can't let you do that. And then, okay, I can, but I'm going to tell my dad. Then Herschel says, can't? Right. And then then, uh, he says, well, I can't stop you, but I got to tell my dad. Right. You know, he tells his dad everything, which I, I like. I like. I, I like to see children being honest with their parents, open and yeah, honest. Communi- open communication is better than the other way around. Better than no communication or the lack of, or the uh, or lying to your parents all the time. So, Oh, yeah. Don't lie to your parents, kids. They don't like it. That's our public service announcement <laughs> well, for the week. That's not necessarily why you shouldn't lie to your parents, because <laughs> they don't like it. It's just... Open and honest communication is always better than, uh, you know, f- fictitious. No, that's not the word I'm looking for. What, what word am I looking for? You're a looking terminological at- inexactitude. A lie. Yes. It's be- better than lying and it's better than not communicating. Right. So so be honest. Always. Um. Yeah. So anyways, Carl says, okay, I'm going with you. And uh, we see Carol now leading more people into death row. Uh, it seems like they're just filling that section of the prison up fair bit and lizzie is included now so lizzie is not feeling well uh but she's scared understandably she doesn't really know what's happening and uh carol sends her in all by herself but she is obviously upset about it so carol it's like carol sending her own daughter into the death room there we get um we get a scene of maggie and beth talking through a door because maggie is on the outside and beth is on the inside and she tells her that Glenn has it. And uh, Beth says, you know, we don't get to be upset. We all have jobs to do. And you just got to go about doing your job. She's really building those psychological walls, eh? Well, she was, I don't know. I mean, Beth has been very, yeah, psychological walls, but kind of level-headed too, I think. I mean, the well, whole... I think in, in this extreme circumstance, it's, it's, it makes perfect sense. And it is a defense mechanism. And it, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, in a, uh, you know, a happy life, it's not a great thing, but for survival, it's, it's not a bad thing. Right. I mean, I, I think her, her lack of um, emotion when Zach was killed was a little unsettling. Like, it's, she seems to have turned extremely cold and, and nothing seems to affect her. But in this case, I got to say, you know, don't, you can't get upset. Things are going to happen. And you just have to do your job, do what you're going to do, and try to make things better. So she's being very level-headed in this scene, I thought. I think so, too. Um, And now we go to Carl and Herschel, who are already out in the woods. And Herschel's there gathering something, but we still don't know what he's doing. And uh, But Herschel tells Carl that he's much more responsible now. So Herschel sort of says the same thing that we've been saying for a few episodes, that Carl has really grown up, he's got a purpose, He's got a good relationship with his dad, and he's become a responsible young man. Do you, th- you think uh, Herschel's the Greek chorus in this story? Explain. The, well, the Greek chorus is just, uh, you know, it, it sides with the audience. It's the audience perspective on things and, uh, you know, just talks about what's going on. It's, it's the narrator. Okay. It's the, yeah. So I, I think maybe Herschel's just kind of voicing stuff that we've, you know, that we're aware of. He's just putting it into words in the context of the story. 
Right. Well, it, it, it made sense. It was in context here. And I think that may be, in fact, what he's doing. In, in case there's any people out there who did, hadn't caught on yet, he was letting you know. Right. Right. You know, and it's the same kind of thing when he was uh, talking about the name of the people, uh, names of the people on the uh, on the council. Right. He, he's the narrator. He's the uh, he's telling us what's going on. That's it's his job. OK. Well, that's good. He, good thing he has a job and he's doing it well. Uh, so they're walking around. They come to a camp, and they find a couple of zombies. One of them, who is kind of grown into a tree, become part tr- of that tree, tree zombie. He, he's the moss zombie, I think. Yeah, he's covered in moss. He's grown into the tree, and uh, another one who comes stumbling around a tree with a, I guess, a bear trap stuck on her leg. Yeah, was that was that what that was? A bear trap? Uh, I don't know. Probably. Kind of looked like one of those things that you see in cartoons, you know, trapping people all the time. They sort of look like bear traps. Yeah, they sort of do. (laughs) Carl goes to shoot one, or shoot her, it, and Herschel says, no, you don't, you don't need to. Save the, save the bullet is what he was trying to say, I guess. Yeah, why make noise? Why, uh, why even attempt to? There's no, you know, there's no real danger here. There's no danger, that's true. And we go to commercial and we come back. And Tyrese and Sasha are now talking through a window, and she is in pretty bad shape, not looking too well, feeling rather poor, I would say. And Tyrese decides, or Tyrese tells her to not have bad thoughts, but be positive and think about getting better. And he decides to go on the medicine run with uh, Daryl, Michonne, and Bob. It's a good plan. Yeah, I guess so. It'll give him something to do. Maybe use his rage in some way. <laughs> yeah. So they're taking Zach's car. Daryl says it's the fastest one they got. And uh, Bob is going because he knows what the medicine is called. <laughs> he, he can <laughs> right. read the medicine, the word <laughs> on the paper. <laughs> I, I like the uh, the way this this uh, this scene went. It's just, uh, are you sure you want me on this uh on this raid, it's like, what word is this? And he says the name of the medicine. Yeah, we need you. Yep, we need you because nobody else can read that. <laughs> uh, now we see Carol filling um, filling buckets of water from big blue water tanks. There doesn't seem to be that much left in there. Not, not a lot of water. Not a lot, no. And Tyrese sneaks up behind her. She stands up and turns around and is startled by him because he's just sort of standing there. And he tells her that uh, that she cares about people and asks her to take care of Sasha while he's gone on the medicine run. Right. And Carol says that she's sorry about what happened to Karen. And then after Tyrese leaves, uh, Carol has a little bit of a rage moment where she throws down the bucket and knocks over the barrels, spilling out what little water was remaining. Yep. So did you know at this point, Jason, that... Yeah, I suspected. It was Carol? She was my, uh, yeah, she was my uh, biggest, I'm bad with words today. I can't think of the word. Well, suspect. Suspect, right. She, yeah, she's the biggest suspect in my mind as of uh, as of that scene. Right. She wasn't a suspect before this, though, right? No, not for me, no. No, okay. So not, neither, neither was she for me. But as soon as they showed this scene, it was obvious to me that she was the one. I, I thought there's no other reason she would be flipping out like this then she is feeling guilty about what she did. Yeah, I don't know if I came to the conclusion that it was her. She just uh, came, became my number one suspect. I wasn't absolutely sure. I was just like, yeah, now I'm not sure who it was, but it's probably her. Well, I can say at the time I felt stronger. I mean, obviously I didn't know yet while I was watching it 100%, but I thought, 
there's no other reason for this. It's got to be Carol at this point. So right. Um. Uh. Yeah. So Herschel comes back in and uh, he's walking towards the the door to the prison and Maggie comes around the corner and she's mad that he's not in the healthy person quarantine. And Herschel explains that he went to get elderberries, which are a natural flu remedy. Right. And I looked it up. Apparently they are. So uh, if you ever get the flu this year, Mr. Miles, drink elderberries, elderberry tea, or eat elderberries. Okay. I wonder if you can eat them by themselves. I don't know if I've ever tried them. Can you buy them? Where do you buy elderberries? I don't know. Probably all over the place. Here's another question. Do elderberries grow in this part of the world? (laughs) I don't know. Can you get elderberries in southern Ontario? No idea. Uh, yeah, I would say no. Well, I don't know. We bl- we grow blueberries, strawberries, raspberries. We grow all kinds of stuff. Why not elderberries? Oh, well, okay. I'll look that up. All right. While you're doing that, um, Herschel says that so many times in this world, they can't do anything and they can't control anything, but this time he can. You know, he knows what to do here. He can make these people feel a little bit better, and if that means risking his life, then... This is a good enough reason for him to risk his life to do that, to make these people feel better, you know, before they likely die. Right. And Maggie decides, you know, she comes around and she decides that he's right. And so she opens the door for him to go into the prison. But her and Rick, who also walked up, stay outside. Right. Elderberries in Ontario? Uh, I, I found elderberries, but I, I'm, I haven't found out where they grow yet. All righty. After this, we hit a commercial, and we come back, and uh, now we have a scene with Maggie and Beth talking through a door, and they kind of have a similar conversation to the last time, where Beth says that they all have jobs and they have to do them. Um, But I did really like how this scene was shot, where we got straight-on shots of each girl leaning back-to-back on the door, and the camera just slowly panning or slowly zooming in on them, and... I don't know. I, I thought the sort of dialogue here was a little bit inconsequential because we already knew what they were saying and they already spoke about this, but I did like the way it was shot. I kind of wish this scene was included instead of the other one. Right. If you know what I mean. I do. Um, and then we go over to Rick investigating the body burning scene and he notices a bloody handprint, I guess a handprint on the door. And we find out later that this at least gives him enough uh, information to suspect who did it. And, you know, it's Carol. We know that now. And but and Rick goes to confront her later. But tell me this, Jason. Did I miss okay. something here? How, do, how did Rick figure it out? How did he deduce who the killer was based on that handprint on the door? Is there something there that I'm not getting? Uh, no, I don't think so. The only uh, connection... I found between uh, that handprint on the door and Carol is in the script because I really don't know uh, in story how that how they how they connect. Listeners, if you can help us with this, I'm not yeah I'm not sure how Rick made the jump from handprint on the door frame to it's probably Carol. Uh, well, or, Carol has hands. Sure, she sure does. But Rick even holds his hand up to it as if he's like try, trying to to see if it is a handprint, kind of like he's saying, "If I put my hand here, would it make a mark like that?" Kind of thing. I I don't know. Well, maybe he's measuring the size of his hand compared to the size of the hand that uh, would have made that size of print, and maybe uh, that comparison ruled out a whole bunch of people. 
Well, maybe if they were small hands, it ruled out a lot of the men. It would rule out all the children. But still, I mean, is Carol the only woman? Why why wouldn't he think it was Maggie, you know? Or or somebody else who wasn't sick yet. So, I don't know. It's Maybe there's something else in the episode that I'm not connecting the dots on. And it, it is obvious, but I'm not so sure, you know... We saw Carol's freakout scene, and to me, that was like, oh, she's the one. Rick sees a bloody handprint on a door, and he makes the same conclusion. So I don't really get it. I'm not sure I'm not sure what was going on there. Rick is psychic. Oh, well then, all right, then that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Completely explains it. <laughs> Carol is outside the fence, though, cleaning the water pipe, which, as if you recall, she was supposed to wait to do tomorrow. That's Yeah, that's a tomorrow people job. Sure, but Carol decides to take it on today. You see uh, that she's not as wise as she would have been tomorrow, so she's doing it today, and that was a mistake. Always do stuff tomorrow. Always let tomorrow guy do it. I see. That makes sense. Uh, now, zombies start closing in on her as she's trying to clean the pipe and, I guess, clean the crud out of the foot valve, because I assume there's a foot valve on that pipe. You can't have a pipe into a water without a foot valve, right? I will take your word for it. Oh, I have some cottage... What's a foot valve? It's a valve on the end of the pipe, also known as the foot of the pipe, so that water can only flow uh, into the pipe and not out of the pipe. Because if it, if it could flow out in a cottage water system, which I used to have and maintain, if the, if, you know, the pump draws water in, but when the pump goes off, if all the water flows out again, you're going to lose prime on the pump. So you have to have right. water in it and stay in it. And that's, right. so is that the same kind of valves that I have throughout my bloodstream to make sure my blood only goes one way? I I guess, yeah. Because if it goes the other way, that sounds uncomfortable. Sounds painful <laughs> and probably deathy, death-inducing. <laughs> deathy. Uh, anyways, a foot valve is on the bottom of the pipe so that water doesn't flow out. It's the same as a catch valve in um, in a sump pump configuration which i also have some experience with (laughs) right so anyways that's what she's doing she's cleaning that out there foot valve carol and uh zombies are coming rick starts running down to help her but uh, she kind of waits too long out there and rick sort of has to rescue her now rick goes through the fence not through the gates but through cuts in the fence that i guess they have made and uh, it's all i could think of is that really a good idea to have no, holes, it's a bad idea. To have holes in the fence? Yeah, why don't you just lower your defenses in key strategic places so that uh, zombies could, uh, you know, exploit them? Or anybody could exploit them, really. I mean, I guess it makes for easy escape, you know, or it makes for this kind of scenario where you need to get out to help somebody quickly. But I don't know, man. Cutting through... The whole point of having these big double fences is for protection and safety. And if you're just going to cut holes in them everywhere, what's the point? But luckily, but luckily well, for they Carol... Were, they were locked, though, right? They weren't just... Yeah, I were mean... They, were they locked, or I, was it just like a, you know, a hook that they used? I don't know that it was anything more than one of those climbing clips. I'm, I, I didn't really see. I don't think they showed us. But they've showed those clips in the past where they've used them to, uh, you know do up holes in the fence what are they called they're not crampons they're uh i don't know what they're called cleats what, what are they called they're called something i call them climbing clips so anyways i just think it's not smart to have holes in your fence now luckily for carol there was because rick got out there just in time because she gets her machete stuck in the head of a zombie 
So he has to run out and shoot a couple before he can uh, get her back inside the fence. Now we go to the medicine run. So everybody's out on the road now. And by everybody, I, machine, I mean Michonne, Daryl, and uh, Bob, and Tyrese. And Michonne and Daryl chatting about going looking for the governor. And he says that the trail went cold. Otherwise, he'd be right out there with her trying to find right. him. Which is interesting. So they got no idea where the governor is. And uh, it seems like now they don't really have so much time to worry about it anyway. That's true. He starts fiddling with the radio. And now we get the scene of them hearing a voice broadcasting on the radio that we saw in the trailer. Now, I don't know about you, Jason, but when they showed the scene in the trailer... It was much clearer, the reception, if you ask me. It sounded like we heard the word sanctuary and then those who arrive survive or something like that. In the actual episode, I couldn't understand a damn word that was coming through on that radio. Uh, I got uh, survive and sanctuary. And I, th well. And, alive, I think I thought I heard. And, and the word alive. That's what I thought I heard, yeah. But it didn't seem like it was kind of a, full sentence like it was in the uh, in the trailer so no it was garbled I think maybe they were teasing us a little more in that trailer so we don't know much about what's going on here but uh, Daryl needs to keep his eyes on the road because while he's fiddling with the radio he ends up you know hitting a couple of zombies or at least swerving around them driver distraction is the plague of our era yeah totally whether you have a phone or zombies fiddle with the radio while you're driving <laughs> It really is a bad idea. Let the passenger fiddle with the radio. They're carabiner. They're called carabiners. Carabiner. The clips. Yeah, the, the, the clips, yeah. Oh, wow. I would never have got that. Um, now, you, now you know. Now I know. Thank you. So, uh, yeah. So they, they hit a couple of zombies, come to a halt, and there's suddenly an awful lot of zombies around them. The camera pans back, pulls from the car, and twists looking forward in the direction they were going. And oh my God, was there a lot of zombies on that road. There was a lot. And I thought when they stopped, I'm like, why did you stop? Why didn't you just weave through the, the zombies? And I thought it was a kind of sparse uh, you know, number of zombies to, to bring them to a complete stop. But then uh, once they panned up and panned around, it's just like, oh, that's what they see. And stopping is prudent. Yeah, stopping is a good idea. And reversing to get the hell out of there is a good idea, um, which they try to do until they knock down a bunch with the car and get stuck on the pile of zombies with no traction. I, I, I knew what was as soon as Daryl jumped on the gas and they were going in reverse. I knew that we were going to get the scene where they got, uh, you know, hooked up on a bunch of zombies. Right. And would spin out their tires and wouldn't be able to get out. But what I really wanted to see, and I would have actually screamed out at my TV in joy and delight, is that if Daryl did a rum runner. Do you know what a rum runner is? It's that move where you uh, you drive really fast backwards and then you jump on the jump on the brake and you pull the the handbrake and you spin around and the car spins around and then you jump on the gas and it goes forward again. I do know the move. It's called a rum runner. Okay. And uh, I would have uh, been so delighted by uh, Daryl if he had done that. Uh, I, I think I might have peed a little. But he <laughs> didn't do that. They got stuck uh, on the zombies, and they had to abandon their car. Now, it's a bit of a tricky move, is it not? Like, I don't know, oh, that, God, I, yeah. I don't know that I could just get in my car and do it. No, I wouldn't recommend it. Actually, I was with uh, a friend of mine back when we were in high school, 
Uh, he just turned 16 and got his license or something. So we might have been 17 at the time. And it was winter driving in northern Ontario. And I tried to convince him that it was easy to do. And uh, we were in uh, we were in a K car. And if you ever try and get a K car to do a rum runner on a, uh, a back road in uh, northern Ontario uh, in the winter, chances are you're going to meet the snowbank. And we sure did. Did you, eh? We, we spent the next three hours digging that car out of a snowbank. Well, you know, you only have yourself to blame. Well, I tried to get him to do it again. It's like, well, you learned a valuable lesson this time. Just do it once more. This time it'll go fine. (laughs) It'll be fine. Well, Daryl does not try the rum runner. He just gets stuck. And uh, they have to fight their way out. And we've seen a lot of this from the trailer, of course. Uh, But uh, Tyrese is in the car looking all morose. And finally, he gets out surrounded by zombies, and he just goes to town with his hammer, just hammering one after the other in the head. The other three run off into the woods and leave him there. Because, I mean, what else can they do? There's, it's not like they can... Uh, I mean, I suppose they could try to help him, but there's an awful lot of zombies around, and there's a lot between them and him. So yeah, they're uh, sort of saving themselves. Have a commercial, and when we come back, we're still with the gang. They're running through the woods, killing zombies. They pause for a second, and from behind them, out of the woods, come more zombies and Tyrese. So he obviously got away. <laughs> With his hammer. With his hammer. He hammers a couple of them, of zombies right there, and they uh, grab him and pull him along. He's obviously tired, though. But this mystery of whether Tyrese would survive that or, you know, if we'd see him again in this episode was solved pretty quickly. Do you know what kind of hammer Tyrese has? It's a very long hammer with a claw on the end. Yeah. Um, it's not a ball-peen hammer. That no. Would, that wouldn't do as much damage. Is it a framing hammer? It might be a framing hammer. Yeah. I, I don't know. but I don't know much about hammers, but uh, I know you know they have long hammers and they have drywall hammers and they have ball-peen hammers. And you know what I've heard about a ball-peen hammer? Uh, yes, I do. Yeah. If you hit a cat with a ball-peen hammer, it will almost always blink. Yeah. I do not recommend trying that. <laughs> No, don't do that. I love cats. For the cat. record. I'm a cat person. Don't do that. <laughs> yes, you are. I've just heard that. There's also a Friday hammer. Oh, the Friday hammer. One end is, so it's a it's a hammer, and on the other end is a bottle opener. That's right. I have a Friday hammer, uh, but it was cheap. I don't remember where I got it, but it was well, cheap. You got it at like uh, uh, Radio Shack. Yeah, something like that, but it's a, it's bent a little bit. Like the bottle opener was stiff enough. I mean, opening a bottle was too much force for the... Uh, <laughs> for the bottle opener on the end of it. So it's a really crappy bottle oh, opener. Oh, it needs to be made of steel, not aluminum. That's the problem. Oh, nothing should be made of aluminum that requires uh, any kind of torque or... The, the opener pressure. itself and the hammer end is, is steel, but the, the the stick or the handle on it is, I think, cheap aluminum. So, What kind of bottles do you have? Are you using, like, uh, titanium but bottles? It wasn't the first bottle. It was wear over time, but still. It shouldn't have bent. Anyways. So what, so what you're saying is you drink too much. Well, everyone knows that. <laughs> and they're about to find out when we go down to Walker Stalker Con next week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Am I? Uh, what? Where the hell are we? Um, I don't know. Oh, uh, Tyrese just got... Uh, we solved the mystery of does he survive the attack uh, from the car. Right. He comes out of the woods. They pull him along, and I guess they get away. Uh, but because we go to Herschel and he's giving elderberry tea to very sick Dr. S and uh, he's got a mask on Herschel, which I guess is smart. But then the doc coughs blood all over Herschel's face. 
like yep. just right all over his face. And Herschel doesn't hesitate to remove his mask and wipe himself down to clean it up. I, you know, Herschel, all for doing his, I'm all for him doing his job and being a good doctor and trying to help these people. But it also makes sense to take some precautions. It's he almost was wearing a mask. It's almost like he's in here and he wants to get sick, taking the mask off, touching people. I don't well, what, know. What do you want him to do? I mean, uh, you know, he, he was wearing a mask. He can't wear a hazmat suit. No, but I don't know. I mean, maybe keep your distance a little bit too. Give them the tea and then stand back. Now, that said, you would think a person wouldn't cough blood all over someone. You'd think they'd cover their mouth when they coughed at least. Or turn their head or, you know, some some kind of Something. social convention for uh, coughing. But sometimes you have to cough and you don't even know. That you need, like, have you ever coughed when you didn't know that you needed the cough? It just comes out and it spews whatever is happening. And I you guess have no warning. I guess that's possible when you're sick and you can't it's really happened control to me. it. Yeah, it just you know, like, what the hell was that? My body just expunged a bunch of crap. Yeah, and it didn't give me any kind of warning whatsoever. <laughs> well, maybe like, that's thanks, a, dude. Maybe <laughs> that's a that's a today guy problem. Yeah. <laughs> Um, maybe that's a characteristic of this flu too. You just you just don't know when the coughs are going to come, and you can't handle, you can't uh, stifle it, and you you spray blood. So, either way, it's gross. And, well, yeah, uh, I think he took the reasonable precautions because when you're you're if he, if you're dealing with the flu, and that's what they think this is, is just you know it's a it's a particularly bad kind of flu, right? And there's a good chance that it's going to kill you, but it's still the flu, and therefore is a known kind of thing, and the flu. Uh, you know, it spreads via, uh, you know, close contact. It's it's on saliva. It's on your your hands. Uh, so, as long as you maintain, you know, relative distance, spitting distance, you'd have to be outside of spitting distance, which is about arm's length normally, except when you spew blood <laughs> out of your uh, out of your mouth hole onto you know, towards somebody else. So I think Herschel was, uh, you know, probably a little close, but I don't think he was unreasonably close. Uh, yeah, I, I, I suppose I more or less agree, but I just think you take all the precautions you, you should, you can. And a mask is fine, but first of all, a bandana doesn't really prevent that much from getting through, I don't think. He needs an N95 doctor mask. A flu, I think, is fine with just a bandana. I okay, think maybe. other viruses... Uh, it can be a little more pervasive, and therefore you need a better mask. But I think it's you know the bandana was fine. Yeah, I guess it's, personally, it's all he has too. So we'll... wear glasses maybe next time. Yeah, that's right. So you don't get it in your eyes because that's bad. That is bad. Uh, but we see Herschel now tending to Glenn after Doctor S, and Glenn is pissed because he says everybody after everything they've been through, he's going to die from a cold, <laughs> a glorified <laughs> cold. He called it, and uh, Herschel tells him that you have to believe that uh, he'll be okay. And once again, we all have jobs here, and believing you're going to be okay is that one's yours. That's yeah. your job to do. Uh, they're really hammering home the we all have jobs theme in they this do. episode. I do that with my with my wife and you know family when they get sick. When they get sick, it's like this, this is your entire job right now is to get better. That's it. If yep. you do anything else, you're sacrificing that job and it's not going to happen properly. Your your entire being should concentrate on getting better. Luckily, getting better from a cold, as long as it's just a cold, involves watching movies, watching TV, drinking a lot of tea, resting, you know, having naps, all things that I love to do. It just yeah, sucks that I don't, you know, can I have to be sick while I'm doing them. You know what happens to me when I get sick and I end up watching TV? 
you become I end up a, watching weird documentaries. My my brain just wants to go. I want to watch a documentary on roller roller derby, or uh, this is a documentary about this guy that was on death row that uh, you know about his story about dying, or I wanted to watch a documentary on Auschwitz. I want to. My brain just goes. I want to watch weird documentaries. That all sounds very fascinating, though. Yeah, but normally I don't watch a lot of documentaries except when I'm sick. Interesting. I just might I just crave documentaries for some reason. That's weird. I don't want I don't want plot. I don't want story. I don't want entertainment. I want facts. Just give me the damn facts. Well, I wouldn't say it's not entertainment though. I think it sounds like you've probably learned a lot of interesting things while you've been sick. Yeah. I don't know. It sounds good. good stuff. Well, there was one in the porn industry too. What was that called? Uh, it was called After Porn. It was, uh, they interviewed a bunch of ex-porn stars <laughs> oh and God. about their lives in the porn industry and afterwards. People will make a documentary about anything. It was fascinating. Well, see, this is what I'm saying. <laughs> Sounds like you've had a good time while you were sick watching documentaries. And, and thank God for Netflix. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's nothing but documentaries in Canada. Yeah. So, uh, outside, we're almost at the end here. Rick tells Carol that it was stupid to go outside the fence by herself. And he says, you do a lot for us. Is there anything you wouldn't do for the people here? And as she's walking away, he stops her and says, Carol, did you kill Karen and David? She turns around and says, yes, yes. and walks away. And the episode ends rather abruptly, I thought. It was a bit of a abrupt end for some reason, but... I didn't feel like it was an abrupt end. Well, I, I thought I, it was a great ending. I thought it, it felt abrupt because of the way... AMC airs things, right? They backload the show with commercials sometimes. And so at the end here, it's like she says yes, and it just kind of cuts to a commercial. There's no fade to black with credits coming up, that kind of thing, right? So it felt abrupt to me because I was watching it. Maybe if I watch it again from iTunes or from another source, it, uh, won't, feel, it won't feel the same way. Yeah, I watched it on iTunes today. Right. So here we have Carol. She's confirming that she is the, the murderer and the body burner. Now, that said, we don't know 100% whether these people were dead already and she burned them or if she killed them and then lit them on fire. Uh, but either way, she's the one who did it. So uh, after Tyrese was all nice to her and said, can you watch after watch uh, Sasha for me? Turns out he if he finds out, he's not going to be too happy about it. No. So... Um, all right, Jason, what uh, what did you think of this episode on the whole? I liked it. I thought it was a little differently paced than the last couple. Yeah. I thought it was a little slower, a little more introspective, uh, but uh, I think overall I liked it. You know, I agree with all those things you say, um, except that I think I, I I take them a little more negative than you do because I think it was too slow. I think it was maybe a little too introspective. We got three or four conversations about people having a job to do. You know, we didn't need so much of that. To me, it felt like it took absolutely forever for the the, the group of four to get out on the road to go get the medicine. You know, it, they decided that early on in the episode, and then we see them packing the car. We see them talking about who's going to come. We see them trying to convince Tyrese, and... I just felt like it was slow to a fault. You know, I'm okay with so? slow. I'm okay with introspective, but you still got to move things along. And uh, I'm not going to say nothing happened, but not too much happened until the end when we set up, you know, some 
pretty bad scenes of peril for our four characters who are out on the road because we don't know what's going to happen to them and there's 7500 zombies coming down that road so yeah um you know and i'm glad they revealed that it was carol because it would have been silly to draw that out but at the same time i think they kind of shot themselves in the foot a little bit with the water scene i mean don't you think it would have been so much more impactful if at the end they hadn't already kind of told us that it was Carol? I don't know. I, I don't know. And I think they're they're kind of going with the theme of more information is better than less. Uh, like they're giving us all the information we need in a very quick manner. You're absolutely right. I mean, I I praised them for that in the first in the first episode, I think, where characters were talking to each other, information was being passed. But that's to me, that's a little different. I mean, characters talking to each other and sharing information with each other is important so that everybody knows what's going on and it's a realistic story. This is more, you know, no one else was around Carol when she kicked over that that thing. It was strictly for the audience to show that she was upset about something or regretted something. And everybody watching it immediately went, oh, she's probably the one who did it. And now Tyrese was so nice to her, she's feeling bad about it. But, uh, but, but I mean, you know, and then there was this big reveal at the end, which it kind of lost its teeth because everyone was like, oh yeah, we already knew that, right? I didn't know what she was going to say. That's how I felt anyways. I mean, okay. (laughs) There was, there was like, uh, there was three different layers to that for me. There was, I suspect her to do it and I expect her to say yes. And then we, you know, we've got the, got that situation to deal with. And uh, there was the, I believe she did it, but she's going to deny it. And then we've got that situation to deal with. Mm-hmm. Or she didn't do it. And she says, of course I didn't kill them. And then we're like, well, who the hell killed them? So we had three different possibilities in that, uh, that one question. And as soon as Rick posed the question, I didn't know which way we were going to go. Uh, that's true. That's true. I guess we didn't really know what she was going to say about it. Um but the fact is we we pretty much know she did it. And I guess we don't know what's going to happen if she lies about it or something like that. But I still think they they gave us, for once, I think they gave us a little too much information too early, right? Um, we were going to find out anyways. Um, and I don't know. It just it lost something for me. It lost something for me because, because, because of that scene earlier, earlier on. I, I think the, the difference between your perspective on this and mine is that you were able to come to a conclusion in the earlier scene, whereas I didn't come to that conclusion. Mm-hmm. I had suspicion, but I didn't come to that conclusion. So when we got to the end of the episode, I didn't I didn't have a conclusion to, to draw off of. I had a hey, we could go any different way this in this with this question. Yeah. I don't know how you couldn't come to that conclusion though. It it just was so obvious to me. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I enjoyed the episode more, so maybe your conclusion was uh, misplaced. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, The other thing, the only other thing I want to say I think about this is if you're going to take time to develop characters, you you need to learn something about characters as the audience. And I'm not so sure we really learned anything new about anybody here. I guess, I guess we learned that Carol is, has the potential for murder. Um, which may or may not be new information, but, uh, you know, did anybody, did we really learn anything about anyone else? You know, Tyrese is upset and he's not acting rationally. Um, 
you know, the the Carl-Rick relationship, maybe a little bit with their short interaction before Carl went into the that's quarantine. Not new. That's but, that's the same interaction. You're right. You're absolutely right in the, in this with this point is uh no, I don't think the 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 relationship between Rick and Carl uh, we didn't get any more information about that relationship. I think it's it's the same relationship we saw in the last episode. Even though I liked how they they presented that, you know, and I I, I guess I'm not tired of that sort of that relationship being shown on the show, right? Which is which is good. I'm glad I'm not tired of it yet. Um, but I guess yeah, it wasn't really anything new. Um, we learned that that they have no idea where the governor is, but that's not really character development. That's just sort no. of a fact. We learned that Daryl can't fiddle with the radio and drive at the same time. Yeah, that's true. Not many people can do that successfully. Um, now, so so I don't know. I just, I don't know what was going on in this episode that was really, really that important. Or at least was important to take up a whole, you know, 43-minute minute episode. Um, it felt to me like it would have cut down the stuff at the prison with Carol and Rick and so on and maybe add more of the, f- the group out to get medicine. Maybe show us a little bit more of that instead of saving it all for next week, if that's what they're doing. I mean, No, next week's going to be a governor, isn't it? Well, we don't know that. We don't know. And if it is, that means we're, <laughs> we might get a governor bottle episode and not have any resolution to what we got or what little we got in this week's episode. Yeah, that's my suspicion. They, have they released a next week on? Actually, they have, and I think there are some scenes of um, of Daryl and the group getting the medicine, or at least in some sort of facility where you know they're trying to do something. And maybe oh. it's just hide and get away. I don't know. <laughs> okay, I figured we were due for a bottle episode of the Governor. Yeah, we kind of talked about that before the season started. Um, you know, and maybe we'll get like a fifty-fifty episode where there's nothing at the prison because everyone is there just sick and dying. So what are they going to show us there? <laughs> and we just get Daryl and the medicine team, and then maybe cut in with what the governor is doing. Because I mean, they did mention, you know, did you notice in this episode they didn't mention him by name? They just said the trail's gone cold, and uh, that's that. What do you think he's like, Voldemort? That if you mention his name, then uh, he can hear you. <laughs> no, I just think it's interesting that, you know, Michonne wouldn't have said, you know, I've been searching for Philip for for weeks now and nothing or something like that. But they didn't ever mention it. They just said she's been out and he's glad, Daryl's glad to have her back and the trail's gone cold. So in theory, we don't even know for sure that she was looking for the governor. Who, who do you think she's looking for? Well, uh, Santa Claus. Santa uh, Claus doesn't leave a trail. No, he sure doesn't. Um. My daughter told me yesterday that she knows Santa Claus. She asked me if Jack Frost is real. And I said, yeah, who do you think makes the grass all frosty and sparkly in the morning on cold days? And she said, oh, yeah. And then she said, and I know Santa Claus is real. I just know it. I'm like, well, good. (laughs) Anyhow. That's awesome and sad at the same time. No, it's not. It's awesome. Well, well, when you have, uh, you know, you're absolutely sure about something and then it turns out to be dead wrong. Spoiler alert. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh yeah can you spoil santa claus it's yes not a spoiler. that's I, not I, a spoiler that's I, just that's a ruiner a bit of a ruiner yeah yeah way to be a ruiner Jason. <laughs> all right so anyways we're gonna move on but um i i didn't love this episode i thought there was a few g- good bits um but it just kind of rehashed the same stuff and i felt the first like 30 minutes or maybe f- 35 minutes were kind of slow and a little bit boring 
And uh, the stuff with the zombie herd on the road, man, that was awesome because we haven't seen that many zombies all in one place in this show before, I don't think. Well, I like the episode. I would have liked it more if Daryl did a rum runner, but uh, what can you do? All righty. Well, rum runner aside, we have to disagree on this one, I think, a little bit. Yeah. All right, let's take a quick break before we come back with Holy Crap, Did You See That? Um, we got lots of good ones this week. And, of course, listener feedback will be coming on our show later on in the week. So uh, make sure you tune in for that. But for now, please don't go anywhere. Watch out, keep it stuck, me with a sickness. Pull your little arrows out and let me live my life. You better watch out, keep it stuck, me with a sickness. Pull your little arrows out, let me live my life. With the one I better lead, all the blondes of fantasies. For you, the listeners of The Talking Dead Audible is offering a free audiobook download and a free 30-day trial so you have a chance to check out their service. Jason, what have you been reading lately that we can recommend to the listeners? You, you know, the book I've been listening to in the last week or so is uh, The Art of Racing in the Rain by uh, Garth Stein. Have you heard of that one? I have heard of it, but I don't know much about it. It's uh, it's about a dog. It's from the perspective of a dog, uh, Enzo. Enzo knows, knows he's different from other dogs, a philosopher with nearly human soul and an obsession with uh, opposable thumbs. He has educated himself by watching television extensively and by listening very closely to the words of his master, Danny Swift, an up-and-coming race car driver. Nice. So a book from the perspective of a dog. Yeah, it's fantastic. It was really good. I really liked it. That's really interesting. That sounds and, like... And I, and I cried a little bit at the end. Oh, it got a little dusty in the room, did it? It did. Well, that's good. Very good book. Great. So The Art of Racing in the Rain by who? Garth Stein. Garth Stein. If you want to pick that up, go over to audibletrial.com slash talking dead. That's audibletrial.com slash talking dead for your free audiobook. right it's time for holy crap did you see that and we have a couple of calls to kick it off this first one comes from chuck in chesapeake 
Hi, Chris and Jason. This is Chuck from Chesapeake, and I just had a few comments about episode two, Infected. My holy crap, did you see that moment? Was a picture that was hanging on the wall that was drawn by a kid uh, that Karen's flashlight highlighted. Uh, It had the word Nick next to it. I thought that was pretty cool. So Chuck noticed a picture in the last episode, in number two, I guess drawn by Lizzie. She was drawing pictures of Walker Nick before he was slaughtered. That's awesome. So uh, attention to detail right there. Uh, This comes from friend of the show, Dave. He's got a holy crap, did you see that moment that is the same one that Gemma from the UK sent in. So I just wanted to give Gemma a shout out too. Here's Dave. Hi guys, it's Dave. I'm also not on the internet, but I am on the phone and I'm calling the Zombline because I have a holy crap, did you see that moment? And uh, it's about my disappointment, I'm afraid that they stooped so low. I mean, I, I really thought that the writers were a little bit more clever, and I understand why they did what they did. But the moment when the doctor sneezes into Herschel's face, and I understand what they were trying to do, like I said, but that's the sort of thing where it just sort of seemed really dumb. Like a doctor of all people, I understand that he's all sick, but would just outright cough everything up in Herschel's face. It's just, I just thought it was really dumb, and I have to deduct them two clever points for that little bit of writing because I feel like they could have done it a little bit better, uh, been smarter about it, done something a little bit more interesting than a doctor coughing in someone's face. Anyhow, that's all I got. Talk to you tomorrow. Bye. Thank you, Dave. So uh, I think Dave's point is just that a doctor of all people would cover his mouth or turn away but we kind of covered it earlier and maybe you just can't tell when that spray of blood is going to come and i think that's the whole uh the whole purpose of dr s getting sick is to it was to spray blood onto herschel and and my prediction is that uh, herschel's going to die and dr s will survive Ooh, nice uh gutsy call there from you well we have to have a main character die because of this right yeah and herschel's going out of his way and he said uh that if he's going to risk his life this is worth it. That yeah. was his. That was his death nail in his coffin. That it, was. Uh, that was it for him. He goes out as a hero, trying to trying to save people, or as he said, make them feel better. Right. Which is why we needed this blood coughed on him. And I think it. You know the. I've had this happen. Not blood, but just the. You know, my body just spews crap all over the place. <laughs> it's only happened once or twice in my whole life, but it has happened when I'm sick. It just. You know, I have no warning whatsoever. It's just like. It was very, it was a surprise to me, surprise to everybody else, if there was anybody in the room. Uh, I I think that the whole point of this was to show definitively what the infection point was for Herschel. Yeah, exactly. And did you notice this is the second episode in a row where we've had a character sprayed in the face with blood? That's true. Rick got pig's blood in his face, and now Herschel got Doctor S blood in his face. Yeah, the pigs weren't infected though. Uh, no, that's right. In my well, they might have been, but in my opinion, they weren't. True, um, but still, you don't want blood sprayed in your face, no matter what. Oh, it's not yeah. comfortable. All right. Well, this comes from Facebook. Barbara on Facebook says, "My holy crap moment was when Herschel told Carl not to bother killing a Walker. Herschel has always been extra moral, but come on, any Walker left alive is a threat." 
I, true. I don't agree. True, but I th- also think that saving ammo is, is important too because you're just going to run out of it eventually. So Well, I'm not even sure it was saving ammo. It was, you know, risk versus reward kind of thing. Is it worth shooting that zombie uh, in order to survive? And no, it, in, that, in that case, it wasn't. It was a single zombie. It wasn't, wasn't much of a threat. Uh, why waste the ammo? Why, ch- uh, you know, chance the noise? What if that homemade silencer that uh, that Carl has didn't work that time? Yeah, or, or that's true. I yeah, I mean the noise is a good point, but um, assuming the silencer would work, I guess there's still some noise, and uh, I think you just also want to save save the bullet. But why not like hit her in the head with a rock or stab her with a knife or something? Oh yeah, go after her with a knife. That that's that's fine. Because as Barbara said, any walker left alive is technically a threat still. That's true. All right, this one's also from Facebook from uh, Chi Hung. Uh, when Carl was out in the woods with Herschel and they were turning to go back to the prison, you can see the walker behind the tree in the direction they were headed. Thing is, the walker was moving away from the guys. It turned out to be nothing, but to me, it uh, looked like an editing mistake to include that. I didn't notice any walkers out there. I, I It could be an editing thing if there was a walker just walking away. Um because you'd think with them right there, a walker would be coming at them, but uh, who knows? I'll go back and take a look. True. Sarah on Facebook writes, My holy crap was the Tyrese and Rick fight. Ty outweighs Rick by, uh, but man, did Rick do a number on him. Well, there's just pure meanness involved in a fight too, right? Yeah, and and I think, uh, don't forget, Daryl grabbed Tyrese, which allowed Rick to get a a shot or two in, which uh, which got Tyrese on the ground. That's true. And when you're on top of someone, then it's easier to continue pounding them. <laughs> yeah, that's also true. All right, so Shenandoah from Facebook. Holy crap, not Car- uh, Carol. Oh, my God, how is Daryl going to react? Well, will Rick enact the you kill, you die law? Yeah, interesting. Carol killed somebody. Does that mean she has to die now? Yeah. Probably not. Probably not. Matt but she f- might. Yeah, maybe. Matt from New Jersey writes... My holy crap moment was the first scene of the episode. Did you see the size of the dirt pile Glenn was digging? He had a good four or five foot dirt pile, and he was only about one or two feet deep into the grave. <laughs> but but maybe it was a really wide grave. You can dig maybe. four feet of dirt out of one foot hole if, if you have a big enough area, right? Well, maybe he dug down uh, and then turned left. You know, he was digging sideways for a while, or maybe the grave was uneven. Maybe he was only a foot in the ground, but the section that he was working on was another 15, 14 feet uh, down. I have a, I was digging a hole in my backyard one time a couple of years ago, and my neighbor from two two houses down was helping me, and he's a big, strong dude. And uh, so I was digging one end of the hole, and it was about an eight foot long by four foot hole, and we were trying to dig it down about four feet. So a pretty, pretty good size hole. That's a big hole. What the hell were you doing? I was building a dry well so water could be pumped out and seep into the ground. So you fill it with gravel and rocks and stuff, and then the water just seeps in and goes into the ground. Um, uh, but he was, we were digging along and he was digging and I was digging. And then our other neighbor shows up to just say hi with his kids. And, uh, he comes over and he looks at the hole and he looks at my you know my end of the hole and my friend's end of the hole and he says you guys been digging the whole time the same rate because he's way deeper than you i'm like thanks (laughs) dick (laughs) nice yeah it was funny anyways all right neither here nor there (laughs) all right jesse from the internet holy crap glenn got sick uh maybe that's why the picture he took is significant he's going to die 
a teary smiley face at the end of that one. <laughs> that, that's true. A teary smiley face. I forgot to read that part. That's fine. Um, see, I told you that picture is going to come back to be important. Glenn's gonna, Glenn is going to croak. Do you think Glenn's no, going to die? No, I don't think Glenn's going to die. Neither do I. But boy, if he did. Or maybe he'll just be sitting there in the infected zone and he'll just be longingly staring at his picture of Maggie sleeping and wishing he could be there beside her. That picture's a red red herring. <clears throat> oh, it may be. Maybe. It's nothing. Yeah. Jason from Washington writes, my holy crap, did you see that moment was the radio station 96.9 or 97.1 in which they heard someone's voice say alive a few times. So apparently it was alive. For a few episodes there, I was worried that the first half of season four was going to be strictly about life in the prison and the spread of the disease. However, this short radio bleep gives me hope that the prison group will come into contact with other outside groups. Oh my God, the others. The others, exactly. I don't think that they're going to find these people that soon, to be quite honest with you. But I guess they've planted the seed and they have to go, go, uh, they have to take it somewhere. That's true. I think it could be very interesting with the, that kind of radio signal, you know, being a beacon to call people in. That could be really good or really bad or probably both. Yeah, exactly. You never know. It's a big mystery. <laughs> it sure is. All right. We got Tracy from Seattle. Really? Dr. F, Dr. S coughing blood all over Herschel's face? Since he's a doctor, I would have expected him to be smart enough to turn away. I don't have a good feeling about Herschel lasting this season, and that makes me sad. Ah, well, there we go. See, Tracy and uh, Dave and Gemma from the UK all had the same one there. And um, yeah, like uh, you just said, Herschel doesn't seem like he's long for this world. However, we've been predicting Herschel to die for like two seasons now. Yeah, this is the second season. I didn't think he would uh, survive the cold open of the first episode of season three. <laughs> and I look, believe it was my prediction. <laughs> and look where we are now. <laughs> yeah. Terrence from Pontiac, Michigan writes, My holy crap moment was the scene with the burned bodies. Everyone present had lost someone really close to them. Rick was there, and he's lost Lori. Carol has lost Sophia. Daryl has lost Merle. And Tyrese had recently lost Karen. Oh, that's sad. Interesting observation, though. I, I never would have thought of that, but Terrence is absolutely right. And that came up in the uh, the conversation, right? We've all lost someone. Mm-hmm. We're, we've all been there. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly what Rick said. <laughs> I guess he meant everybody in this room right now. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. All right, we got uh, Kara from Oz. That's Oz? that's what she said. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, the massive herd that was seen in the background when the car got zombogged, that was... <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> Zombogged. That's also very cool. <laughs> it is. Um, we got Rachel from Cleveland says, Carol sending Lizzie into quarantine without walking in there with her and getting her calm and settled. Several months ago, she would have sacrificed getting infected to provide comfort. Carol is blowing my mind right now. <laughs> <laughs> Carol is becoming awesome. She just needs to pick up a sniper rifle. Oh, man. Then she'll be unstoppable. She's Yeah, she's already got the knife thing going on. She can murder that many more people. Yeah. All right, James from Pittsburgh. Holy crap, my moment has to be uh, Rick's ability to bullseye walkers left-handed. With his right hand bandaged, he, now, uh, he is now wearing his gun belt backwards and somehow managed to draw his pistol, reset his grip, and still bull bullseye a walker less than three feet from Carol's head. I guess they train for everything in Georgia. So interesting point because yeah, he had his hand bandaged and he when he went out there to save Carol outside the fence when she was cleaning the foot valve, uh, I guess he was shooting left handed, although I didn't notice it 
at the time in the episode, did you? Uh, I did at the time. I thought it was, uh, I, I was impressed that he could hit that. Uh, he would make that shot so close to Carol uh, with his left hand. And I would have to, I, I, I agree with James that uh, he would have to uh, practice with his left hand. Well, he was a police officer, maybe. So maybe he does do. I don't know. Police probably don't do offhanded shooting practice, but maybe no. the better ones do. I don't know. I think it's more in in the world of special forces, right? Kind of thing where they do offhanded training. I think uh, police. I, I don't think it's mandatory. Some people might take it upon themselves to do that kind of thing, but I don't think it's, uh, you know, required training or required uh, a required skill. No. Well, that's what I mean. Maybe Rick just took it upon himself to be a better cop. I don't know. Do you, do special forces and military really do offhand training? I don't know. The only the <laughs> the only reason I have to suspect that is that I've read a lot of Tom Clancy novels. Right. <laughs> and and uh, Domingo Chavez, uh, he he did that when he hurt his right hand. He he'd spent a lot of time practicing with his left hand. Well, it makes sense. Spoiler alert. Yeah. You and the spoilers, man. <laughs> yeah. The fifteen <laughs> books into the series, and uh, <laughs> Domingo Chavez hurts his right hand. <laughs> All right. Naomi from the internet writes, did you notice the first scene uh, when you see the car driving as the group of Daryl, Tyrese, Bob, and Michonne went out on the run to the vet tech for antibiotics? It was such a small moment, but there were leaves on the road. Not the normal amount from fall, but it really looked like the road had been deserted. It was such a small touch, but I really felt in the moment like there was no one else in the world out driving. Very well done. Um, So uh, Naomi's got an interesting point here. She's just saying that if there were other cars and there were people driving around, the leaves would have been blown off the road, but they took the time making the episode to sprinkle some leaves around just to amp up the feeling of desertion or desertedness. Right. And I, I had, I did notice the leaves in the episode and there were two points about the leaves that, uh, uh, that I noted. One was that they were awfully uniform all the way down the road. Right. Which was either a trick of computer imagery uh, copy and paste kind of thing, or they were deliberately scattered there to make it look like that, like a, an actual practical eff- effect. Sure. <clears throat> but they looked a little too uniform to me. A little too perfect, eh? Yeah. Okay. And the second thing was, uh, if you are driving on a deserted road and there are leaves on on the ground, that makes the road way more slippery than there would be without leaves on the ground. Uh, trains have a big problem with leaves. As soon as there are leaves on the track, if there are wet leaves on the track, trains can't go uphill at all. Really? Because they're, they're, they're way too slippery. Interesting. They just lower the, the friction level of a road like way down. So you have to slow down when there are leaves on the road. And Dry leaves, like, not so bad, but uh, wet leaves are, or even like leaves that are stuck to the road make it very dangerous. You know, I learned that on the weekend as I was sweeping leaves off my deck. They were kind of wet, and man, was the wood slippery. I almost fell down a couple of times. So, Daryl, slow down and don't fiddle with the radio. (laughs) Yeah. Let the passenger fiddle with the radio. The navigator is there to fiddle with the radio. (laughs) That's right. Uh, Okay, so the final one. This is the final one, right? Uh, It it is, except I got a late-breaking one in the email. So do this one, then we got one more. Okay, so we got uh, Sharnisha from the internet. I hope I'm pronouncing your name right. So I'm going with the zombie fused to the tree, and I will tell you why. When I was in college, I worked for the VA State Forestry Service during the summer. One day we found a dead body of a homeless guy who had died leaning against a tree. 
it was pretty disturbing. But one thing I did remember was that as he decayed, his fat and skin had fused into the tree and bark. It gave me nightmares for, well, it still gives me nightmares. But I thought this level of forensic accuracy was impressive. First of all, that's horrifying. Yeah. And I'm sorry you had to go through that. No kidding. But also kind of interesting that that would happen. It's fascinating, but it would definitely give me nightmares. Yeah. I mean, how long would that guy have had to have been there to start becoming part of the tree? I I really don't want to think about it. Yeah, seriously. I'm I'm perfectly fine with TV violence, uh, this little level of violence, like knowing that it's all fake and stuff, but any kind of real injury or violence in any way just freaks me out, and I I don't like it. You're not the kind of guy who goes and watches real car crash videos on the internet. Oh, God, no. Oh, no. God, no. I uh, And when I'm flipping around on, you know, when you go look at uh, GIFs on the internet, I hover over the back button just in case the, the person on the bike is going to actually hurt themselves when they're doing whatever or skateboarding. <laughs> right. And I stop, I stop it before they actually hit the ground if I think they're going to be injured because I can't stand looking at that stuff. I'm with you. I'm with you. I don't. I go out of my way to, to avoid that kind of thing, too. Go back to the series finale of Lost. There is one scene, one shot, where a stuntman was falling down a hill, and you can see the stuntman's ankle breaking oh. a, as hitting a wall. Like, you can actually see it if you freeze frame it. And I remember seeing it the, the first time I saw the finale. It just it freaked me out, and it still bothers me to this day. That uh, you can see that guy, like he just was tumbling down and his ankle whacked the wall, like his leg whacked a wall, and you can just see his ankle bending at an unnatural angle. Oh, that does and not it, sound nice at all. And it made it into the show. Like it was actually in the show. You think that they would cut away from that kind of thing before it actually made it onto NBC's air or CBS or whatever it was. Yeah, well, I don't know. It was probably pretty quick. Like it wasn't front and center, was it? It was very apparent to me. Okay. I saw it the first time I saw that episode. But this this kind of thing where you find a dead body and his fat is fused to a God. tree. <laughs> That's just nasty. No, thank Horrifying. you. Horrifying. It is. All right. We got uh, two more late-breaking uh, holy craps here. One from Jack on the internet. And he says, when Carol and Rick are outside running from walkers, Carol's knife gets stuck in one zombie's head. Did you see when she subtly pulls out a second knife and is back to stabbing in no time? Yep. So she's got the, a the, second the, knife. The first knife came out of nowhere, like literally. Yeah, the, the machete. She did not have that thing before. She, it was in her hand. It, it really sort of just mysteriously appeared, yeah. But I guess she yeah. had another one in a belt somewhere. Though the other one I saw, the other knife I noticed when she knocked over the, uh, the water barrel... It was a knife in a sheath, but it also had brass knuckles on it. Oh, I noticed the brass knuckles too, yeah. The, a knife with brass knuckles. That is so illegal in Canada. Like brass <laughs> knuckles are illegal and, uh, well, long knives are fine, but, you know, brass knuckles way illegal in Canada. Well, yeah. Luckily, no one cares in the zombie apocalypse. No. Uh, Rick, uh, Jack also says, P.S. Tell Daryl to keep his eyes on the damn road. So uh, he's Stop with, fiddling with the radio. He's with you there. And... Uh, let's see. Finally, Craig from Scotland says, my holy crap, did you see that moment was when Daryl and company come to a halt in the car. I love this scene where they are confronted by the thousands of walkers. This five second shot of the massive horde is probably the best thing I've seen since the Atlanta scene in the pilot. And, uh, 
I think he's referring to when Rick comes around the corner on the horse in the pilot and the street is just clogged full of zombies. Yep. And I think he, uh, Craig here makes an interesting point that the herd on the road is the biggest single group of zombies we've seen in one shot since the pilot episode right there. That's true. Which is awesome. Which is totally awesome. So it is awesome. They're really going for it. Um, and that is going to wrap up. Holy crap, did you see that for this episode? Thank you, everyone, for sending well, wait, those in. Wait, wait, I have one. You have one? I have one. Oh, okay, you give our, give yours. And I, and I did cry out in glee when I heard this. Okay. This was a, uh, a, a, a something that was said by Daryl. The, the, uh, Daryl was talking to Tyrese. Uh, in the in the prison uh, near the beginning of the episode, and he said, "Man, I want to find them too. Put a bolt in them just for what they did." And I was very happy that he actually used the word bolt. It's not an arrow that comes from a crossbow; it's a bolt. That is true. I think you've p- mentioned that before that they've used the word bolt, and you're just happy that they're getting the terminology right. I, I was very happy, and that Daryl Daryl said that right. I actually I had to go back and listen to it again, and my arms went up, and I exclaimed with glee (laughs) hooray huzzah (laughs) huzzah yeah yeah so that was my holy crap did you hear that daryl used the word bolt that's very very good i don't really have a specific one this week um so you can berate me for failing um but uh i mean no one actually went and mentioned i don't think the scene with um uh, Tyrese just being surrounded by walkers and just hammering one after the other. I mean, that's worthy of it right there. He's like uh, Thor out there with his framing hammer. Oh my God, was he ever, yeah. <laughs> no one else can lift it but him, but he does a <clears throat> fine job with it. I'm going to call him Framing Thor from now on. <laughs> yeah, T doesn't stand for Tyrese. It stands for Thor. Thor. <laughs> when his hammer Mjolnir or whatever it is. That is a tricky word. That MJ or whatever whatever it is is, uh, is is hard to get out of your mouth. Yeah. All righty. So are we done now? I'm done now. All right. Ex- excellent. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Before we end here, um, I just want to remind everyone that we got shirts. You can go to uh, our website and click on shirts to see what's there. I think there's a pretty good chance we're going to have a few more products available soon. Yeah. Um, I would say by Thursday, or by Wednesday, I mean, when we record our listener feedback show. By then, and I'll remind you then, we'll have maybe a few more shirts and a couple other things up for sale there. So please do go check it out um, if there's uh, if you want to see what's, what's there and maybe pick something up. That would be fantastic. And uh, also something I haven't mentioned in a while is that going over to iTunes and going into the iTunes store and giving us a review there. Click on some stars, you know, as many as you think is are appropriate, and uh, write a review if you want. And uh, it, it would really, really help us out. It's the, you know, one of the best ways for people to take notice and for iTunes to, uh, to find us and feature us, which would be great if they did. So uh, go over to iTunes and, and give us a rating. That would be fantastic. And also, I want to remind everyone that um, back in the summer, we finally got ourselves organized up onto Stitcher. So if you are a Stitcher user and you haven't looked for us there, you can indeed find us um, with Stitcher now. So go ahead and do that if you want. One of these days, I need to get around to posting the Stitcher banner on our website, which I do need to do. Um, But uh, for now, you can go to Stitcher and, I guess, search for The Talking Dead. We should come up. That seems like a, th- a thing that tomorrow, Chris, would be uh, much better equipped to do. <laughs> That's right. That's a tomorrow me job. Yeah. For sure. 
uh, hopefully tomorrow me can get around to doing it. T- tomorrow, Chris has the uh, has the wisdom and the experience and the the wherewithal to get that done with gusto and uh, a plum. Well, let's using random words now. The day after tomorrow, we'll find out if tomorrow Chris actually was able to do it. Yeah. All righty. If you want to get in touch with us, everybody. By all means, give us a call on the toll-free Zomb line. That's one 483 zomb or 9662 if your phone doesn't have letters on it. And uh, you can also find us on Twitter at Talking Dead or on Facebook at facebook.com slash thetalkingdead. Send emails to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. Um, you know, Sunday nights is not the best time to tweet us. Our Twitter account on Sundays has the same problem as our phone line in that uh, a lot of people who are watching AMC's Talking Dead show tweet to us thinking they're talking or tweeting to them. So, you know, I scan through them a little bit, but sometimes it's difficult to tell what's for us and what's for them. So, uh, you know, I sometimes send out some tweets on Sundays while I'm watching the episode or something. But um, if you sent us a tweet on a Sunday evening and I didn't respond or didn't acknowledge it, I apologize. It's only because we get such an influx of uh, people who are confused. Not a lot I can do about it. Yeah. So anyways, those are the ways to contact us. We'll be back on Wednesday night with our listener feedback show. So send in uh, comments or phone calls before then, and we'll throw that all up on a, on a show then. And then Thursday, what happens on Thursday, Jason? Um... Oh, yeah, we're going to Walker Stalker Con. Thursday, we hit it's, the road. It's Halloween. It what? Oh, it's also Halloween. It's Halloween. <laughs> well, happy Halloween, everybody. But we are going to hit the road for Walker Stalker Con. So we'll be down in Atlanta on Thursday night. And uh, we will be there till Monday. We'll be around the con. So if you were there, make sure you hang out with us. Say hi. We're going to be on a panel. The schedule of which has been uh, released now, the whole convention schedule. So go over to walkerstalkercon.com to check that out. If I remember correctly, our panel, the podcasters panel, is 10 a.m. on Saturday morning. So Sweet. Uh, bright and early, uh, grab a coffee. Love it. And head on over. I hope everybody comes to the panel. You can meet us, ask us questions. We'll just hang around and chat. It'll be a really, really good time. A yabba-dabba-doo time. It will. And that'll be 10 in the morning after our listener meetup on Friday night. So, uh, you know, who knows what shape things will be in i'll be fine i think you'll be fine i might be tired (laughs) you will be tired it'll be fine fine. it'll work out um that listener meetup is going to be friday night the at a secret location which will be announced um likely friday morning early friday morning so keep your eyes on facebook and twitter for where that's going to be if you want to come and uh, meet us there too we can all have a beer together That'd be fun. So, so Chris, one last thing before uh, before we, you know you sign us off here. Sure. Uh, so we're traveling on Halloween. Yes, so we are. We're actually we're leaving. We're we're actually driving across the border uh, into the United States and then catching a flight there to Atlanta. That is what we're doing. Right. So uh, I don't know if you know this or what your plans are, but uh, border agents and uh, airport security do not like people traveling in costume. So if you're going to wear, uh, you know, a full face mask or a lot of makeup and stuff, uh, <laughs> be warned that uh, getting across the border and getting onto a flight uh, is gener- it's generally flat frowned upon to be in costume. What if I wear a Batman costume, but without the cowl on 
Is that okay? You're fine as long as they can see your face. Okay. You know, if you had the, you know, if you were able to get your passport photo to include the Batman cowl, uh, then you'd be fine. That would be something. But then you'd have to always travel with the Batman cowl because you have to look like your passport photo. Yeah, but I'd also be Batman, and that would be the greatest thing ever. <laughs> yeah. I, I know this because uh, my old boss tried to fly once in a full clown outfit, and they wouldn't <laughs> let her on the plane. <laughs> well, you know, I don't blame them. I mean, a clown. No, I don't blame them either. I'm like, that's, you know, you know, one point for airport security right there. Speaking of clowns, Jason, Uh remember, everybody, it's only been announced once on this podcast, like two or three months ago. But if anybody shows up to our podcaster panel at Walker Stalker Con and asks Jason to juggle, he has to do it. That's true. And he will do it. And my balls are ready to go. They're all (laughs) packed. (laughs) So if you're listening and you're going to be there... Boy, I hope somebody does that. I said that with a perfectly straight face. You did. That was pretty good, man. <laughs> I have I have juggling balls, and they're packed. <laughs> and you might get to whip them out at the panel. Uh, yeah, I might take them out, but I don't know about whipping them out. Yeah, you whip those around, you'd hurt somebody. Yeah, that's right. All right. Uh, that's gonna. On that note, let's let's end this thing right now. <laughs> let's get this over with. For the Talking Dead, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye.